Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. Joshua chapter 10, I'm going to read a lengthy passage of scripture this morning, and I want to talk to you today. My subject matter is the 25th hour miracle. There's only 24 hours in the day, but the 25th hour miracle is something that took place right here in Joshua chapter 10 that is it's just one of the most amazing things that's, that's ever happened. Joshua chapter 10, beginning in verse 6, here's what the scripture says, And the men of Gibeon sent to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal, saying, Do not relax your hand from your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us and help us, for all the kings of the Amorites who dwell in the hill country are gathered against us. So Joshua went up from Gilgal, he and all the people of war with him, all the mighty men of valor. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Not a man of them shall stand before you. So Joshua came up upon them suddenly, and having marched up all night from Gilgal, and the Lord threw them into a panic before Israel, who struck them with a great blow at Gibeon and chased them by the way of the ascent of beth Haron and struck them as far as Azekah and Makeda. And as they fled before Israel while they were going down the ascent of beth Horon, the Lord threw down large stones from heaven on them as far as Azekah, and they died. And there, there were more who died because of the hailstones than the sons of Israel killed with the sword. And at that time, Joshua spoke to the Lord on the day in the day when the Lord gave the Amorites over to the sons of Israel, and he said, In the sight of the Lord, of, of, in the sight of Israel, Son, stand still. Everybody say that with me. Son, stand still. Stand still at Gibeon and moon in the valley of Ahijalon. And the sun stood still, and the moon stopped until the nation took vengeance on their enemies. Is this not written in the book of Jashar and the, and the sun, that the sun had stopped in the midst of heaven and did not hurry to set for a, about a whole day? There has been no day like it before or since when the Lord heeded the voice of a man for the Lord fought for Israel. So Joshua returned and all Israel with him to the camp at Gilgal. Father, I pray that you would just take your word today and inspire us. Lord, we felt your presence already. We know that you are here. We know that you have promised that, Lord, where even small groups are gathered, your presence is there in the midst of them. I pray that you would anoint me, Lord, as I preach your word this morning. Lord, let every ear be open. Let every heart, Lord God, be a fertile field for your word, Lord, to sow, Lord, into to reap the harvest of truth, O God, and righteousness and faith. I pray that, Lord, that you would take this today and that you would use this, Lord God, to inspire your people and your church in these days that we live. We honor you and we honor your word in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You know, after you've journeyed with the Lord for a while, you really start to see God for who He is, and even more, you start to see even the wonderful things that He has done that as you're in the middle of them, you miss. I know that I was, as I was a younger man, I missed some of the awesome, great, powerful things that God did in my life because I really wasn't paying attention, to be honest. 
But after I looked in the rearview mirror of life, I was able to see how God guided my steps, how the Lord protected me from harm, how the Lord kept me uh, safe in His love when everything in my life could have really gone south and fell off the rails. But as you've journeyed with God, the longer you have served the Lord the more you see how great and awesome God is. Amen? Sister Summers, is that true? Amen? It's true. Dan, is that true? Amen. It's how, it's how we, we get gained perspective. And we, we recognize that because sometimes we, use, we lose that perspective. We lose that comparison. You know, when God made the, the garden and He made a tree, He called it good. When God made the rabbits, the animals, He called them good, right? When we build a house, we say, oh, that's amazing. Or when we see a car, a brand new car that we made, you know, that Ford made or GM made or that BMW or Mercedes made, that is great, that is awesome. But then that house all of a sudden needs to be painted. And that car springs an oil leak but yet the tree still grows and the rabbit still hops. I think we've got our good and great backwards. I think the things that God does are great. They are amazing. They are awesome. And we look around this world and we say, you know, that's pretty good. But compared to what God has done, it is nothing. God is great. And what He does is awesome and amazing. So we have to make sure that we understand the definition of what God's goodness and His greatness really is. So today what I want to do is I want to just look at a few great things that God does in this story, this passage that I read, the great things He did in Joshua's life, all throughout the book of Joshua. I believe that those same things God wants to do in your life and in my life as well. You say amen to that. If you look at this story and you examine it closely, the first thing you realize is that life can get difficult sometimes. I mean, when you read the book of Joshua, you recognize that most of it is about fighting and war, men of valor, Men losing lives by the sword. You know, you're in a battle and it's always constant. Life is sometimes like that. Where it's a challenge to, to even get going in the morning. Especially when you find yourself in a difficult circumstance. Difficult with your family. Difficult on the job. There's all kinds of things that can cause our life to really become difficult. We get stuck. We get slowed down. It's a challenge. And Joshua... He has just crossed the Jordan River. You know, I mean, this is the land that God had said He was going to give His people. He's just crossed the Jordan River. He's defeated already two armies. Two cities have already fallen. Jericho and Ai have already fallen to Joshua's great army of God. And here's what happens. Word starts getting out about the great army of Israel, the people of God. They're not losing any battles They're winning. They're beating even fortified cities like Jericho. And so the word begins to scatter and people begin to take notice. Now here's the important thing that you have to realize. God specifically told Joshua at the beginning that when you enter into the land that he has promised, that he has given you, that you are to defeat and to subdue every person, every tribe, every city-state, every nation and nationality, you are to subdue them in that land. Every one of them. Take no prisoners, basically. And so as word gets out, a group of people called the Gibeonites, they decide to take a little bit different approach with God's people, with Israel. And so What the scripture says is in chapter 9, 
That instead of going head on to meet the, the army of Israel that was coming to attack them, what do they do? They disguise themselves as poor travelers. They put on their worst shoes. They find some sandals that are about half tore up. They put on, the Bible says that they, they take uh, different cloth and they just pat, they put on old patchy clothes. They put moldy dry bread in their sacks and they approach the army of Israel and they say, oh, Joshua, we're just travelers. Instead of killing us, defeating us, why don't we, why don't we come to some type of compromise? I mean, look at us. I mean, we're, we're just poor traveling people. Our sandals are wore out. We're weak. We couldn't do anything. What's the harm in just, why don't you just be our friend? Just, just let us be your friend and, 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 and you know, we'll, we, won't, we won't mean you any harm. I, we promise. Well, Joshua responds. In Joshua chapter 9, verse 14, it says that they didn't ask or inquire of the Lord, but Joshua made peace with them, and he actually made a covenant with the Gibeonite people. These people that had actually tricked him. And so he makes peace with, with, this, with this group of people, and it's a willful mistake that Joshua makes. Against God's own instructions, Joshua makes a treaty with them, which in reality, these Gibeonites, they weren't poor, little pushover, nothing people. They were actually known as great warriors. And because he didn't consider the Lord and acknowledge God in his decision, he didn't see the danger. And he treated God's commandment like it was just a suggestion. And when you leave God out, my friends, when you leave God out of any decision-making process in your life, when you begin to make decisions without acknowledging the Lord, as Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6 tells us, when you begin to make, make course corrections in your life without the instruction of the Lord, let me just tell you, the results usually don't turn out the way that you think that they should. That's exactly what happened. Joshua figured he could help these poor people. I mean, that was kind of his excuse. He figured that, you know what? We don't have to fight them. God, you can take a day off. You don't have to deliver this people into our hand. We can do this all on our own. But the problem quickly comes to life because not only had the Gibeonites heard about Joshua and the powerful army of God and Israel, but other nations. So what do they do? They say, well, the Gibeonites, they've signed a treaty with Joshua. Why don't we just go attack the Gibeonites? So five Amorite kings ally themselves together and they lay siege to the city of Gibeon. They surround that place. Now, in the ancient times, that's how they won battles. Nothing went in. Nothing came out. Eventually, they would either starve you out or you would surrender. One of the two. That was only the two options. And so they surround the city of Gibeon. And of course, what do the Gibeonites do? Well, they do what any ally would do. They send for help. Joshua, come help us. They get a messenger out to Joshua. In verse 6, you can see it. We read it the very first verse. Come help us quickly. Save us. Come help us. Don't relax your hand. You get here as fast as you can. And the result was this. Joshua ended up not just fighting the Gibeonites, 
But he ended up fighting five different armies all at the same time. Now, why did he have to do that? Because of a willful mistake that he made. A willful mistake that he had made. This usually happens when we go against God's instructions. When we willfully make decisions without the Lord, life will get overwhelming for you. Just ask anybody, because everybody in this room has made those mistakes. Life becomes overwhelming. Let me ask you, friend, if you are in a moment right now in your life where life seems overwhelming, let me ask you this question. Have you made decisions without acknowledging the Lord? Have you consulted God? Have you asked Him what His will might be for your life? Have you spent any time in prayer saying, Lord, what is it that you want me to do? Maybe you are in, in, the, in the situation because of your own willfulness. Maybe because of your own decisions. You see, here's what you've got to realize. That there are things that come into our life that will seem innocuous. They will seem harmless. They will seem like they won't have any effect on our life at all. And that actually we may be helping God out. But really the truth is, is they stand in total opposition to what God's will is for your life. When you allow worldly things into your life, it will cost you down the road. When you allow sin to be tolerated in your life, you will, it will eventually threaten your very life. Just one drink, that's all it is. Come on. I mean, come on, really? It's, a not, it's, it's nothing, it's no big deal. <coughs> Just one look. Just one look. I mean... Nobody knows, right? Just one little lie. I mean, it's small. Nobody, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, so, it's so petty, it's so simple. Just one little word. I've told my kids over and over this phrase, and they could probably repeat it for me. Finish it. I've always told them. When, since they were young, all the way up, and I still tell them this every day, I said, look, guys, I want you to understand, 10 seconds of stupid can ruin your life. And that's all it takes. And here's the problem. Kids are good at stupid. They're real good at it. And some of y'all are laughing because you are as good as stupid as your kids are. 10 seconds of stupid can ruin your life. Sin never never, ever is innocuous. It's never harmless. It never has, has unattached consequences. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22 says, Stay away from every kind of evil. The King James says it like this, Abstain from the appearance of evil. If it even looks questionable, just stay away from it. Because it has a hook that you can't see. It's hiding in the bait and the bait will take you down and it will hook you and before you know it, you are stuck, my friend, and, and it will have an effect upon your life. Young people are often asking me, I've heard it over and over, how far can I go? 
Now, I don't want to pin that on young people because I know adults who will press the very edge of the envelope and see how close to the edge they can live and say, you know what, how close can I be without being in danger, Pastor? Well, here's the truth. James chapter 4, verse 17 says this, So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. I don't know how better black and white I could preach it besides Brother Apostle James here. If you know... If you know and you don't do it, it's just sin. That's all it is. It's not, it can be called anything else. There's a willful mistake. Joshua just thought God was just suggesting when God made a commandment, look, it will bite you in the end, literally. But like Joshua, let me tell you something. All of us have made mistakes, right? Just stop. I want you to just look at the people around you. Just look at them. Come on. Participate like, you, like you're really listening. Look at the people around you. Did you know that those people around you have made a slew of mistakes in life? You're all looking at me, and guess what? I am nothing but a mistake-filled preacher. I've made lots of mistakes thing about your mistakes is you can't ever go back and fix them, can you? You can't go into your past because what's done is done. It's, it's, it's settled history. And so what does Joshua do when he knows he's made a massive error? Look at verse 7. Joshua went up. He did exactly what they asked. Hey, come help us. We're getting surrounded. We're going to be attacked. You are our ally. You made a covenant with us. And what does Joshua do? He honors his covenant. He at least does that. He and all the people of war and the mighty men of valor, they all go. At this point, let me tell you, old brother Joshua, he knows he's made a, a, a mistake. Because now he knows that he's not just fighting one, he's fighting five. And it's not going to be a pretty picture. He owns it. Come on, guys, we got to go. I put my word on this. We've got to go. We have to go attack. He owns it, and I have no doubt that he regrets that decision. Anybody in this room, if you're honest and you don't have to raise your hand, do you have any regrets? Any regrets? (laughs) Regrets are funny things. Most of our regrets can't be seen. But let me show you a few pictures of some regrets that can be seen. Uh, Juanita, are you back there? Could you help me out real quick? Here's some pictures of a nice tattoo. No regrets. That's going to be there a while, friends. I don't know if no regrets means it, but there's some regret going on right there with that tattoo. Okay? There's another one right here. I want you to just read it carefully. Read this next one. Don't let the past make your decisions for today. Obviously, the tattoo artist had not graduated from the sixth grade. Here's another. I mean, you got to credit the, the moms and the dads. Here's a good one right here. This next one. My mom is my angle. Man, I've always wanted a mom that's just an angle for me. Always. And then, of course, the next one is, you know, Dad's Angel. If y'all are spelling it like that, you won't get the joke, okay? 
So the ones that didn't laugh, that's how you spell it. Yeah. So we're just laughing at you because you're not like, what, what's the problem there, Pastor? I don't get it. Is that supposed to be funny? But of course, you know, it's one thing to have misspellings. It's another thing to have this. Look at this last one. Dear God, what in the world is that? There's other ways to honor your child besides that. That. Oh, Lord, I, I can't imagine that having that on my body. <laughs> that would scare that baby to death if they saw that. Okay, so, so uh, you know what it's like to have a regret. All of those people have regrets. All of them. Thank God most of yours are not seen. But we all have noticeable regrets in our life. Our mistakes embarrass us. They, they're especially those mistakes that have caused us to run ahead of God, like what Joshua did. Hey, I'm just going to do this my own way. But here's what I want you to see this morning. Here's the great part about it. I want you to look how God responds to mistakes. Our mistakes. Look at verse 8. And the Lord said to Joshua, Do not fear them, for I have given them into your hands. Rather than telling Joshua, Oh man, dumb move. What a bonehead move. You could have killed one, and now you've got to fight all five. What a bad move. Why did you do that? Well, Joshua, you're on your own on this one. I'm going to sit this one out and just see how you handle it. That's not how God responds, is it? God doesn't respond to our regrets and our mistakes by saying, Well, pal, you're on your own. Listen, sister, you made your bed. Now you've got to lie in it. That's not how God responds. He says this. He says, oh, look, don't fear them because I have given them into your hands. In other words, what he's saying is he's saying, look, don't give up hope. Not all is lost. Joshua, actually, I'm kind of ahead of you in this one. I'm kind of ahead of you in this mistake that you thought you brought it all on yourself and you did. I want you to understand this. Make no mistake that there is no mistake that is the final word for the child of God. Come on, somebody. There is not a mistake that's ever going to be the final say in your life as a child of God because here's what happens. The Lord uses our mistakes to accomplish His purposes. He uses our mistakes to accomplish His purposes. You see, here's what He does. and You can write this down. God loves to take and to turn our mistakes into His victories. He turns our errors, our failures into His victories, into His glory. How does He do that? Well, it's because when everything looks like it's going sideways and off the rails because we have made mistake after mistake, regret after regret, God says, look, don't be afraid. I'm ahead of you on this one. I've already built a new train track. I'm going to this right if you'll just turn to me and follow me somebody once said that the success is defined as the art of making your mistakes when nobody's looking but i think the best way to define success is this is that it's the art of seeing victory when other people only see defeat that's really what it means to be to be a child of god when you make the mistakes that we make and you come back to god and he says look I'll take care of this for you. 
I want to show you something. God loves to turn our mistakes and our failures into victories. From God's perspective, what he saw was not five ominous armies. God saw five different five armies, and instead of having to face five armies on five different battlefields, God put them all in one battlefield in a winner-take-all scenario. And let me tell you, he's the winner who took it all. So hear me, fellow mistake makers. Those of us whose lives have been scarred or tattooed by regret, I want you to hear this one thing today. If you don't hear anything else that I preach, I want you to hear this one thing. God has not given up on you. (laughs) Wow. God has not given up on you. He's extending hope to you this morning. He's the master fixer. So stop living your life in a holding pattern. Stop thinking that plan B or plan C or plan D or however many plans that you've had to operate off of is the best it's going to get. I want you to understand that there is purpose in the pain of our life sometimes. And it's God's purpose because He can turn our mistakes and He can turn our failures into victories in our life if we will just let Him. You see, all of your challenges... All of the challenges in your life, on the field of battle, in the decisive battle, here's the thing, he's already decided the winner. And thank God he didn't say, if you are perfect, then you are more than a conqueror. He didn't say that. He said, even if you're scarred up and you're filled with mistake and filled with failure, if your life has has been marred by all of those things, if you come to me, you are still more than a conqueror through Christ who loves you. In the midst of your worst mistakes in life, God shows off His grace. That's the wonderful thing about our great, awesome God. Because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, My grace is sufficient for you. In my power is made perfect in your weakness. So if you've lost a marriage, guess what? Grace is sufficient for you. If you have lost a broke, made a, a broken a promise, his grace is sufficient for you. If you have failed and fallen back into an old habit that you once had, his grace is sufficient for you. If you've let your family down, if you've let your friends down, if you've let your church down, if you've let God down, guess what? His grace is still sufficient for you, friend. What an incredible hope. Listen to what Peter says. Peter says, after all you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore you, confirm you, strengthen you, and establish you by his grace. There is hope. God turns our mistakes into his victories. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Let me keep moving. So Joshua answers the call. And he takes God as his word, and what does he do? He moves out in faith. He moves out, the Bible says, from Gilgal. The scripture says in verse 9, it says he marches all night long. 
I don't know if anybody ever told you that serving the Lord would be easy. But if they did, they lied. Serving God is the most adventurous thing you can do in a life. In your lifetime, it's the most adventurous thing you can ever do because you will see things happen in your life that people who don't serve the Lord will never see. You'll see the faithfulness of God, the goodness of God, the love of God, the compassion of God, the mercy and grace of God working in your life, some, most of the time in tandem to try to move you to where He wants you. But nobody ever said that that would be easy. And so Joshua, he marches all night long. And can I mean, it was a 20-mile march at night. And here's the thing. There was an elevation change of 3,300 feet, which means they marched uphill the whole way, kind of like the way your mom and dad walked to school. Uphill both ways. They marched all night long through the dark stumbling over this rough terrain and they were exhausted let me tell you something exhaustion is dangerous especially when it's an army marching 20 miles in the dark uphill spiritual exhaustion is even more dangerous spiritual exhaustion is very dangerous because what happens when you get exhausted when you get tired is you lose sight and you lose perspective you lose the promise of where you're going. You get discombobulated. When you become spiritually exhausted, what do you mean by that, Pastor? Well, I mean, when you get to where your spiritual life is waning. I used the illustration in Wednesday night Bible study. I said, look, there's only two ways that, you're, that you move in life. It's like a man riding a bicycle up a hill. If you're pedaling... You're going up the hill toward the Lord. But whenever you stop pedaling, there's only one way you're going to go. Right? You're either going up the hill or you're going down the hill. And when you become spiritually exhausted, you quit pedaling. Spiritual exhaustion is dangerous because when you get tired, your faith starts to fade. You don't, you, don't, you don't ask God for great things anymore. You just say, God, just help me to survive. Your, your focus on God's Word begins to become elusive. You, you, you don't see the need of God's Word in your life. You don't even see the need for church. And I've seen people get spiritually tired, and what happens in their life, they begin to retreat from the people of God. Spiritual exhaustion is dangerous because if you're not with the herd, guess what? That sole ox standing out there is prey and prime rib for the lions that are watching. And when you can't keep up and you get weary and you get tired and you stop marching, it can be the end of you. So you have to keep marching. You have to keep moving. You have to keep moving because the victory is in front of you. It's not behind you. The battle is in front of you. And so Joshua, he, the Bible says in verse 9, says he surprises. They didn't think that that was even possible. He surprises the, the, uh, the Amorites that night. All of these armies, they're still just getting up. They're waking up. You know, they still haven't had their first cup of Folgers in the morning. They're not, they're, they don't even have the sleepy out of their eyes. They're just trying to get going. And all of a sudden, here comes the army of God into their own camps. Nobody thought that that was possible. 
Let me tell you, when God's people act on faith, the impossible comes routine. They begin to march. They march through this, this city. And the Bible says in verse 9, if you look at it, it says it set there, verse 10, and the Lord threw them into panic in, in, in front of Israel, before Israel. Instead of Joshua and his army being the ones who were panicked because they're going to have to fight five armies all at one time, it was just the opposite. It was the enemy who got panicked. You know what the pandemic is now in America? It's not COVID-19. It's the pandemic of panic. That's what we live in every day. It never ceases to amaze me how many people always keep the pump running so that they can keep as much and maintain as much pressure in our culture as possible upon people. It's just one drip after another. It's just constantly, if the balloon seems to deflate, we got to pump that back up and keep people in a constant tense situation where we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, Pastor. I don't know. The world's coming to an end. Wars, food shortages. There's no formula for my baby. And that's very real. It's very real. We know it. We know what's coming. But here's the great thing about that. It may be as real as you paying six, seven dollars for diesel. I mean, that gets real. I mean, I, just this past week, I felt like I was back in high school, 16 years old, because I go to the pump and I'm like, $20, $20, 20 I ain't filling it up no more. No way, baby. 20 bucks. 